You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. So hi everybody, um, thank you very much for joining me today on today's podcast. Um, of course, we're go- on the discussion today, we're going to be talking about tackling bias in machine learning models. So before we go ahead and get started on the questions, if um, we'd just like to take a, an introduction from everybody. So Kalyana, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be lovely. Great, thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Kalyana. Uh, I work for Microsoft. Uh, we are. Um, I'm act- architecting their data science strategy, vision roadmap uh, for their identity division. Uh, identity division is the division which allows all of us to log into any anything Microsoft, including Xbox games, and not to mention Teams. So we are talking 160 billion authentications a day, uh, and uh, you know, uh, and lot of sub data that comes with it. Uh, and we got to be absolutely efficient because one extra space in the logs would cost us money. So uh, you know, we we are really curious about this, and I try to solve the problem. Before that, I was working with a Swedish company Ericsson, uh, and I was heading up their data and analytics practice. Lovely. Thank you very much for that introduction. And CJ, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be lovely. Yeah, um, I'm CJ Jenkins. So I'm the head of data at Devo Team Creative Tech in Sweden. Uh, so that means that I uh, grow data within the organization. So I help the data scientists, data engineers, and data analysts um, get better in their practice and also um, add more business value using data. And then I also drive our data strategy, pre-sales activity, recruiting, um, any, I'm the one-stop shop for data. Um, and I am super passionate about two things. Uh, the first one is um, making impactful data, right? So like that we have data that actually uh, contributes to business value, um, both for us and for our clients. And uh, I'm an avid Lego collector, so I'm incredibly passionate about Lego. I love that. Thank you very much for that introduction, CJ. And Robert, last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Absolutely. And thank you for having me to this. this will, I think this will be so much fun discussions. Uh, so I'm Robert Nyquist. I work as a machine learning engineer, and I'm also the head of sustainability at the a startup consultancy bureau in Gothenburg called uh, Smarter. Um, so yeah, I work daily with hands-on with machine learning and a lot of uh, also working out how you can use machine learning for uh, reaching sustainable goals and also ethics within AI. Uh, and when it comes to passion, I I do. I try to do opposite of what I do at work, so not sit in front of a computer. So I do spend a lot of time uh, out in the nature, either diving, uh, hiking, uh, cycling, uh, whatever. Something to take my mind off a computer. I love that. Thank you very much. And thanks everyone for your introductions. Um, so yeah, I'll go ahead and jump right into the uh, to the questions now then. Um, so the first question then is um, from uh, Kate Lana. So your question is, um, are we judging machines more harshly with regards to bias? Um, so if you'd like to give us a bit of background behind that question and then everyone can jump in. Exactly. Uh, so I, I was looking at the other questions and that 
been uh, reading up a little bit about bias and uh, the responsible AI and how important it is. And all the examples that are mentioned uh, mostly are, hey, doesn't recognize color uh, or it doesn't give loans to the right sections of the community, etc. Uh, then I I got curious. I was, I was like, nobody, missions don't have a voice yet, not Alexa, but the machines in general, um, so they don't have a voice. So I'm like, okay, are we judging machines too harshly by kind of blaming them for all bias out there? Uh, it's indeed we have produced this data uh, from long time, and these biases are very much intertwined in the society. And machines are just representing them, right? Like they're learning from us, like our kids learn from our habits. How can they be more biased than I am, right? Um, so I, I wanted to just ask the learned audience what they what like what did they think i agree completely and that like the i agree completely and i also disagree completely um but i that the machines don't have a voice right it's all just based off of the the data but then it falls on the practitioner to understand that the data is biased and to try to combat that when building a machine learning algorithm right like if ultimately like the machine is just going to reflect what's happening within the data then the onus is on you to make sure that the data is weighted in such a way that it doesn't replicate the bias that already exists, or else we're just perpetuating bias and perpetuating like discrimination that already occurs. So, plus I think, um, and please, one of the two of you interrupt me, uh, if you'd like to, but um, I also think that you're gonna run into the problem of not just, um, you know, like if you just look at the few examples of like the crazy bias and the incredible racism and like the, you know, populations that aren't getting access to loans, those are still huge examples, right? And it makes me wonder like how often we see those sort of things and we they don't make the news, right? Like how often they like fly under the radar and that maybe it's the other way around. Like maybe the ones that make the news aren't the, uh, aren't the exception, but are rather the rule. And as somebody who's built a lot of machine learning algorithms, I tend to think that that's probably the case because we're not doing enough to combat what's already inherent in the data. Yeah, I also think like since we think or we we sell AI in a lot of uh, places that it's it's going to change the world to become better, and then when it swings back to you and you serve a solution that actually makes it worse, then it also becomes very easy to to complain very a lot about that solution and ask how is this even possible this was going to change things for the better, but now it's even become worse when using it. So I definitely think then also it's, it becomes very easy to, uh, to blame the machines. I'm not answering my own question, but I'm reflecting on it, uh, wherein I'm saying that with ability of uh, automation, now uh, we, uh, we are scaling the uh, bias and that's probably where the concern comes from. Uh, it's like uh, earlier there was one bank in the corner who was doing that probably. It's, it was probably not as damaging to the society, but when we are making products out of this data and generally distributing it, we are institutionalizing the bias and that's probably where the concern is coming from. However, to CJ's point, I think it's, a, it's right that to recognize it's between us and the computer to person who is actually curating that has responsibility of understanding and tackling the bias. It's a process and systemic issue. Yeah, and I think like along those same lines, uh, you know, like part of the problem is, is like the person who's who's creating it, but then like if we're creating things and then just pushing them into production, like one of the things I really like to emphasize 
internally is it's like you should never deploy a machine learning algorithm unless you understand what's happening within the algorithm, right? Like part of the risk reduction process should be to get an understanding of like what's going on. And like I've seen fairly often people are like, oh, I can just throw data into an ML pipeline and then like, out comes an algorithm and then we just put it into production because we need to scale quickly. And I was like, doing things like that is where you run into this problem. Whereas like if you deploy a black box, then you're you're you don't have any understanding of what you know, the processes, like what decisions are being made, what loans are being generated, whatever the algorithm is doing. And I was like, if you lack that understanding, then you're increasing your the risk that's assumed by the business because you don't have an understanding of like what exactly your code is doing. And I think that's just a terrible practice. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I said like, you need to also think that this working with machine learning is, it is a very much experimenting. So of course, from time to time, will you will create things that are not good at all. But as you said, then it's also important to not just throw it into production without actually checking what you've done if it's if it works the way you want it to work. Uh, of course, we want to create bad machine learning algorithms, but then have some way to stop it before it comes out to production. And actually, stop start doing harm because i don't think we ever will be able to not create any bias machine learning algorithms then we need to be stop being biased uh, as humans and i don't see that really happening reach for the stars man no, i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean i hope so, i hope so but <laughs> they still have a hard time seeing it in a near future yeah, as a person practicing it, Robert, uh, like uh, uh, whenever I hear the buzzwords like AutoML uh, solving world's hunger uh, and uh, uh, democratization of AI down to the masses using AutoML or otherwise, uh, it scares me out because right now we are making it so cool to do AI and at the same time giving them tools without probably educating them on what could it do the results basically and they are uh, hyper optimizing on a couple of parameters like accuracy precision or something like that and uh, you know algorithms are algorithms so yeah yeah and that's why i was like i wonder because then the question becomes like you know if we're not blaming the machines and we recognize that date like the bias exists in the data then who 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 becomes responsible to make sure that these things aren't being put into society being put into production right i was like as a lead at my company i was like there's a very strict rule of like, if you can't explain to me what your machine algorithm is doing, it's not going out the door. But I'm able to do that because I'm at a lead at a, you know, a, like, you know, relatively small company. But where does the responsibility fall if like we're moving towards? Because I agree every time when somebody is like, oh, you can just do an auto ML pipeline and like we can just democratize it and, and everybody can do this. And I was like, yes, but not everyone can do it well. And until we get to that point, then I think we're actually doing more harm than good. And like, as a field of machine learning and a field of data science, I think that's going to harm all of us. Yeah, and if, if you look at other areas and not just machine learning, I mean, you don't want ev everything to be, that, that everybody should be able to do everything, regardless of area. You need, you need experts for a reason not to not create bad things basically but when it comes to machine learning it feels like you really push for that it should be something everybody should be able to do regardless of your knowledge about machine learning 
Uh, and yeah, I said that that is a bit scary and probably something that should be should be talked about more if if we are letting it into too many hands. Yeah, I, I think responsible AI starts uh, democratization belongs to responsible AI in that way. Like, you know, you need to responsibly open the doors so people understand what they're doing um, the, to uh, to reflect on who is responsible for it. Uh, I would just say you are driving a very smart car and it doesn't recognize race and hits selectively hits few people. Uh, you know, who would you who would you blame uh, the company? Nevertheless, so it's a system as a whole uh, will get blamed even if there is a challenge. So uh, it's important to intertwine this process and this culture of being responsible across all steps of machine learning development. So you think that it either falls on the business leaders or the person who's in charge of AI for the company? Because I don't just, I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer to my question. I was just like, you know, because you're right. I think the company is going to get blamed, which is why, like, you know, as somebody responsible for, you know, machine learning and data science at a company, something that I'm hyper aware of, because like not all press is good press. Uh, but like, but then it removes the pr practitioners, like the people who are actually building the models are one step removed from like the people who are responsible for making sure that it goes out the door correctly. Oh, yes. And however, of, of, uh, I've seen very good companies start with principles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or do no harm kind of hypocritic oath for responsible AI. It starts there, have a, have a few principles which kind of gives you a direction and then have a checks and balances at various stages of the process. Like research does it, it's not us, right? Like research has been doing this from maybe more than 200 years and yeah. they have evolved a process wherein they create, they publish stuff, it gets intensely reviewed, uh, very critical, and criticality is great in research. And then it hits production after it mm -hmm. jumps a lot of hoops. So we just need to borrow from that process. Probably the challenge here in AI is that tools to do research is available, general, are getting generally available. Probably. Well, does anybody have anything more to say on that topic just before we move on to the next question? I'm sure we'll uh, we'll deep dive into the next question then. Um, so CJ, um, your question is, how do we combat algorithmic bias that arises due to inherent bias within the data? Uh, so if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and then we'll let the other guys jump right in. Yeah, so we read about this sort of thing all the time. And I think all of us when we did reading for this podcast came to the same conclusion is, is that like, the problem isn't necessarily the machines, it's the bias within the data, but there are techniques that you can do to minimize the bias within the data and to still build a good machine learning algorithm. And so I was like, what can we do? Like, what can you do as an institution? And does anybody know, as somebody who works in an institution previously where we could have, and we didn't do this, um, like, has anybody seen any examples of like people actually working to combat some of the bias? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think one one here is as well like to go back to not letting anyone put uh, data into training models. Like you need really need to do checks on your data before. And um, one way that I have worked with at companies like to actually have more or less of a checklist of these if you're working with 
data about people go through these things at least to minimize that, uh, like check how how does a model handle genders? Can we see that it's biased towards any gender or things like that? Just to check through so that you actually uh, work with the data enough to be sure that you uh, that you take away those kinds of biases at least then of course you can't have a checklist for all of the things you will ever need to ask but i guess that that is one start for it to work a lot more with the data before uh, starting to use it for training models yeah i think which gets back to the idea that like it's hard to have uh democratized data because like that that's an arduous and pretty pretty extensive process but I was thinking along the lines of like the inherent bias, and that's a great answer, but uh, like the inherent bias, like for example, the, you know, with loans or with credit cards, right? Like women tend to make more less than men. It's not because, you know, women are dumber. It's just there's a, the gender pay gap, right? And so like, if we know that to recognize that the gender pay gap exists and most loans and credit cards, like the amount of money that you make is really a strong predictor about whether or not you're going to default, then you're going to be baking into your machine learning algorithm that women who make less are therefore going to be less credit worthy and less likely to get a credit card, right? That exists within the data because that bias exists within society because women tend to make less. Like, how would you, like, you know, there are ways to combat that, like weighting the algorithm or like weighting the um, trees and so that you recognize that like this data, like this bias exists and that might not necessarily be accurately predictive about whether or not somebody's going to default or like whether or not somebody is going to be a problematic customer um, simply based on their gender. But like pretending that the gender isn't important or ignoring it actually just generates more inherent bias. Yeah, fortunately, my wife has a better skill score than me. So she <laughs> was doing something good there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Actually, uh, I've, be, I've been fortunate to work with scenarios where we are dealing with machine generated data used for optimizations of the machines, as well as some human uh, uh, data, for example, HR uh, roadmaps for uh, intelligence, et cetera. Um, I think uh, what we have been very careful to uh, initially to understand who is the impacted population? Who are the personas that are using for it and how impactful it is to know that. So kind of uh, it helps us understand the gateways for bias, basically. If it is machines to machines, maybe we're okay, right? Like now we still need to look at it, but now we probably fine. But if it impacts humans, you have, uh, you, you should put it under a microscope. The second thing is uh, we divided the entire process uh, into three steps uh, in First one is ideation, second one is, uh, you know, MVP, and third one is industrialization. Uh, so we let ideators be, you know, using anything, doing anything, but there are checks and balances when they go to a stage gate. Um, when they would graduate from ideation to innovation, all the responsibility questions are being asked because your rate of failure is expected to be much higher in ideation. We don't want to disturb them while they are doing it. Uh, we want creativity uh, to, to go. Uh, and while, however, when they are looking at it, we could put it under my scope to see, are they making any generalized assumptions? So models are but a representation of reality, right? Now, however, it simplifies the world to make that representation. So if uh, if it is seeing some uh, some context, if model algorithm is seeing some context, like CJ has mentioned, that women are less 
great were the so models are very efficient to understand. OK, there is a cor correlation between women and credit worthiness and use that as a variable instead of using something else. So that's what you need to put in a microscope and make sure that hey, it's not generalizing something we don't intend to generalize where the impact is human. So that's those are the couple of practical steps I can think of. And how do you make sure that those happen with an organization? Oh yeah, we have. Uh, that's why we have evolved, and it's not data science only to do data science. It's a community. It's a process of producing a product out. So we have uh, entire. There is a process rules, and there are reviews on at every stage gate. If you are pushing in your CI DevOps pipeline from stage A to stage B, innovation to P POC or whatever, mm -hmm. then actually you have a stage gate to recognize and put these controls in place. So unless okay. that, the code wouldn't move. I think that's great. Robert, did you have more to add to that one? <laughs> no, I don't think, like I said, that, that process, I, I haven't worked in that way myself, but it sounds, it's like, it sounds like a proper way to, to control it in a better way. Yeah, we've seen very good results because now the, uh, if you are, Ex of course, education has to be general. Everybody in the process should be educated on what bias is and what are the ill effects it has, etc. But it has to be responsibility of some people and accountability of some people to make it happen in the process, especially top down, right? Because this is not a concern for data scientists. They want to use the most complex algorithm out there because their regimes looks better. Uh, but it's the responsibility and accountability of the leaders to ensure um, algorithmic complexity is not trumping over the common sense. Um, and that's probably how uh, we try to put it in place. I love that. CJ, did you have something more to add to that just before we move on to the next question? No, I was actually thinking, I was like, this whole conversation thing is going to lead really well into Robert's question. So we yeah. should. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> yeah, so that brings us to Robert's question. Um, so, Robert, you asked, how can you include non AI experts into the discussion to get more perspectives? So, yeah, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this and then I'll let everybody sort of jump in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this comes from like a lot of time, the, no matter what company I've been at, when developing solutions that includes machine learning, you are often, you are a group of people doing it and you are also the ones that might be asking uh, like the questions, how will this affect people? And if you are a group that does the machine learning part, a lot of the time you might have very similar background. Uh, for me, living in Sweden, a lot of time it is we come from kind of the same university, has kind of the same background, lived a lot of our lives kind of the same. Uh, but we have other a lot of other people at the companies that are not working with machine learning, working with AI, that definitely could come in with a lot of perspectives of how the solution would uh, affect uh, people from and with uh, other backgrounds and living in other ways. But a lot of time also when you, if you want to bring, uh, want to ask them and want their opinion, 
a lot of time people also becomes a bit afraid when you start to talk about it's um, like it's a solution including machine learning so then they have a bit of trouble to have this discussion with you and i like i wouldn't like to have a great way to be able to easily include as many people as possible when designing these types of solutions to be able to ask all the question uh, that myself a white male fr fr that lived in sweden all my life would not think of when developing my solutions i think that's really good uh insight and it's one of the things like i've um okay so i'm going to come at this with two different angles sorry i'm going to take uh answer it twice but i think one of them is uh I, you know, I was reading some really nice research that came out of um, Accenture in Dublin, uh, where they were talking about like the importance of including designers and including that human feedback loop in the machine learning process. And so like, if you make it iterative, and like you have an algorithm, and then you take the algorithm and, you know, take it to the practitioners who are actually know the data space and know the domain space better, than the person who's building the algorithm and then you allow them to provide feedback and then you iterate on the algorithm and you allow them to provide feedback and iterate on the algorithm it really like drastically improves the overall like data product um and real it makes a huge difference and similarly like we're working with a group at the university of homestead uh, i'm sure that's not the actual name of the university but it's in homestead and uh they are absolutely fantastic and that's one of the things that we're trying to integrate um, into one of our systems that I'm probably not allowed to talk about uh, for legal reasons, but we want to do the same sort of thing where like we make the AI explainable enough so that the output of the algorithm, the reason that it's making the decisions that it's making are included in the response. And so that the people who are utilizing it are like, okay, the algorithm told us to do this, but this is the reason it told us to do this. And so then the practitioners are able to give us the feedback being like, actually, that wasn't the reason this wasn't correct or like actually, you know, so it's not just yes or no, it's not looking at accuracy, but it allows us to get some insight into like which features might be driving the algorithm in a direction that we don't want or that we do want. And so then it helps us correct the algorithm. And I think like, you know, in this case, it's, you know, transportation data. So it uh, would be very difficult there for there to be bias, but I think it's equally interesting to be able to utilize that system of like bringing in the experts to either look at the data, exploratory data analysis before you build the algorithm, or to help like during the process of like iteration um, and like deployment in order to like detect these things so that like, you're right, you know, I, I think domain expertise is super important and like explainability is super important and this sort of ties it all together. Yeah, oh, that very good reflection on, uh, and um, kudos to Robert to get thinking of including everybody uh, in the in the journey of creating this data product. Uh, so we we should essentially what we are asking is adding one more skill uh, to the data scientists who are already busy of being inclusive as well. So we are asking them uh, a lot of things. We want them to data engineer. We want them to be able to learn all the new models that are coming out, uh, apply them, understand the business context. By the way, uh, be also be very sensitive to other people. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's. I think in inclusiveness is a great principle, but I, I, and that's where I think how to institutionalize these things, right? Like we can't believe on somebody's bad day to influence an entire algorithm, right? Um, so how to institutionalize things, these things is very interesting topic for me. And uh, I think one of the 
early areas that we can start with is not over indexing on algorithmic complexity. Uh, I look at all these job ads and like it starts with neural networks, which is the difficult form for anybody to understand. And that's probably you are alienating the very people's lives whom you are trying to improve, like the domain users basically. Um, so maybe start with some more statistically simple models so you could have weights and they understand weights better than the weights on a logistic regression or a regression better than they would understand in complex neural network. Build trust. It's a, it's a long term process, uh, but it starts with inclusiveness and we need to institutionalize it. And I like that idea of building trust. Um, like I think that's that's really important, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, what Robert was saying about like when you start talking about AI, a lot of people get really scared quickly and are like, oh, I don't know if this is working. I don't believe you. And I was like, like that process of iteratively building trust, like I think um, one of the things I'd like to reflect on uh, is that, you know, we're coming out of the coronavirus pandemic, fingers crossed. Um, and I was like, but one of the things I've noted is like when it first started, everybody took to, you know, their machines and we're like, oh my God, we're going to build algorithms that are really going to help get us through this pandemic. And like, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of algorithms were built. And to my knowledge, almost none are in production, right? Like none of, almost none are actually being used. And so I was like, I think like, part of the reason behind that and you don't see machine learning in certain spheres as much as you see it in others is this idea of trust right like we're not we haven't as an ai community built enough trust in some of those industries like the medical industry where you feel like you can utilize these algorithms but like pulling experts into the process will reduce the amount that the ai practitioner has to do but also like increase trust in like the overall you know, AI process and also the overall like machine learning process so that, you know, we all have jobs in a few years, <laughs> right? So but like, so that like we keep building the community, we build the trust within the community and the value and the potential for AI like reaches, um, reaches where we want it to be. One, one important thing that I want to double click on is experts would want to get pulled into this process. Probably right now when you really talk to experts and I've worked up with uh, a bunch of them uh, promising a lot of improvements, but never sees the light of the day, uh, which is good because you know the number of failures on the experiments are like 999 ways of Edison failing before getting the thousand time right of the light bulb, right? which is okay. I'm not I'm with the research process, but I'm just saying uh, we need to generate enough pull for domain experts to be part of it um, as well to want to be part of it. Uh, that is kind of comes from the inclusiveness that Robert started it all with actually. Yeah. I really much like agree with the part of you need to have you need to have a system for it. You cannot even though of course you should like people should be inclusive, but you cannot you cannot depend, as I say, like have a person having a bad day and therefore you don't include people in the process that you really need to do this on a higher level in companies, in organization, in institutions and not put it into the. To the data scientist or to the machine learning engineer, you need to have somewhat system or framework to work around. Uh, in some way to to easily include include more people. And um, looking at the kind of algorithms we produce, uh, we in the sense the general AI community, you are touching every walk of life and the most of the algorithms uh, which are successful are 
aiming at automating jobs at the bottom end of the pyramid. And this is where the distance to technology is quite high. Um, so, you know, it's it's about being inclusive is also understanding their perspective while they're consulting on building an algorithm. It is at their job at stake, right? So, you know, that's that whole sensitivity and understanding that purpose is super important. But if we are building something that is material to people. I want to jump back to what you said just a minute ago. Um, where you, you know, like pulling domain experts and like pulling people in uh, and how to like convincing them to be in the process. And I was like, that's one of the things, as I mentioned, I'm really passionate about is um, the idea of, like I said, impactful AI. Cause I've, I, I, you know, I'm a data scientist like you guys, I, you know, will swallow through the data and to my heart's content, I love it. But like, ultimately I think one of the hard shifts that we have in machine learning at various companies that I've been to is finding a way to make it add business value, right? And like often like we'll get lost in the field of like, oh my God, this is so much fun building this machine learning algorithm and lose sight of like, what's the product? What's the end goal? How is this actually contributing? And so I was like, I, I hope, again, I'm the hopeful one. I hope that like we're in a space where like you can come back to practitioners and say like, hey, we wanna involve you in the process because here's how this can improve your life or here's how this can improve your product or this is how it can improve your process. And like the ultimate goal is to make things easier for you. And we want to include you in this process so that we can ultimately make this data product that will be that will be better for you, that will add something. And I hope that that's the way to the, like potentially include people and gain that domain knowledge. But I also think that you're right. Like it involves a lot of empathy for, like you can't just like come swinging in and be like, hey, we're going to make this amazing thing. It's going to replace all cashiers ever. You know, <laughs> like that's not like, I mean, you could do that, but I feel like it's not going to, strike the note that we necessarily want to. Yeah, isn't that the journey, CJ, wherein people are moving from a deterministic world to a probabilistic world, wherein um, I I can be certain, but 90% of the times, right? Uh, right and, and how do you determine when you are certain and when you are not? What does 90% mean? All these are very tough to communicate to the general users, right? I work uh, uh, or work in a very, very engineering, software engineering heavy organization uh, who are designing for five nine SLAs and come to them and pitch an idea wherein there is a 30% chance of first uh, iteration improvement. Uh, They're like, hmm, come back when you're 99, right? Uh, so, and machine learning is not built that way. It has to get to 30 before it gets to 60. Yeah, that, that's, that's how it is built. So there's a paradigm shift even for very learned audience to get included in this journey. Yeah, I can see that. And I think um, I've been lucky in that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I am I joke around that I have no poker face. And so like when I'm having those conversations, I'm not like, you know, there's not that people aren't fearing that I'm hiding anything from them. I'm never, I can't play poker. I'm never hiding anything from you. And so they understand up front, like, we're, I'm going I'm to try this with your data. You know, this is the amount of time that it's practically going to take. And then like, we'll see where we are there. And then we can move forward, like decide to move forward together. Um, because then you're right, like switching and like when you're talking probabilistically, like, okay, there's a 30% chance of this succeeding. I don't go with, I'm just like, this may work, this might not work at all, but like, we won't know until we try. And so like, let's try. And if it fails, you know, like the, the onus is on me, but if it's not, we have a plan to move forward. I don't know. I think, I think that there's, there's a way to communicate that so that like you get buy-in um, from people earlier. And maybe the answer is, is like, let's try it. Why not? But if the answer, if they're like, no, we're not interested, then you're like, cool. 
I'm a big fan of just killing the project and moving on, right? Like, you know, it has to be impactful. You have to get that buy-in um, or else I see it so often where you have, you know, really, really, really talented machine learning engineers or really, really talented data scientists who are building something in a closet by themselves. And when they go to integrate it within the product, it doesn't make sense. It's a beautiful algorithm. It, the hyperparameters are perfectly tuned. Like the data is flawless. The accuracy is incredible, but none of that matters because it doesn't actually help or provide value to any, any product or anything that you're doing. Right. And so like, if you're not, if you don't include them in the development process, then you're out on this limb by yourself, building beautiful things that are never going to be used. I really like this uh, approach of tackling kind of two issues at once and two, I would say two of the bigger issues within AI, yeah. because it's, it would be lovely to combine it as say to be more driven to create solution that is actually has a purpose. And if, if that involves including more people, then, then I think that's, that would be just a great way to tackle both of those problems in one way. Yeah, uh, just to uh, push that topic further a little bit. Uh, so I've seen people who think uh, bias in data, uh, accuracy, uh, responsible AI, democratization are different planes in the whole machine learning space. Uh, uh, we Unfortunately, it's uh, it's us who need to realize that it's a hyperspace with all these dimensions and the optimal point is somewhere in the hyperspace. It's not very different than your own machine learning algorithm. It's like you're in matrix solving matrix, right? So yeah, so I think uh, understanding that and having that everything set together and okay, optimal space, not the least or the not most, but optimal space where people can coexist and be responsible. I think it's a good solution. I love that analogy of like that we're somewhere in the hyperspace. I'm going to use that at some point this week, just so you know. I'll credit you too. But oh, sure. you know, I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, so well, we've got time just for one uh, one more quick question because uh, Robert brought two questions. Uh, so um, Robert's other question was, how do you get organizations to understand that you need to put time into evaluating if uh, bias um, exists? So Robert, if you'd like to give a bit of background and we'll jump on that one quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. This also comes a big to like companies also the hype around AI and companies kind of want to have also quick wins. So they want they want to push out like to want to push out solutions, including AI. Um, and one thing here could of course be to like include more people, but that also comes with a cost to a company to have more people uh, go into a project or take uh, spend their time somewhat time into within a project and as soon as something costs then it's then it's a discussion for the for companies and it feels like it's a, not always that they is a cost that they really want to spend but i think it's a cost that they very much should like should put their money into and it shouldn't be a question it should be something almost that the company itself uh, wants to do not be asked to do. You can show them the negative press. Absolutely, but I mean, I've I talked to him and I, I like 
feels like I pulled out so many bad, bad solutions that have gone into production, but still it doesn't. That it doesn't. People don't get it that it can happen to them. It's like, yeah, it was that company. It it won't won't happen to us. We have. And I don't know. I don't know. I I, I really can't like. I can't even say their arguments because I never really understand how you can think that it's not going to happen to you uh, kind of way of it. I think I would I would start um, I would start with showing them like the worst the worst of the worst, right? Like the um, hiring bias algorithm that was from I think it was from Amazon who was only like there was a bias towards like men named Jared who came from Yale who played lacrosse. Like you can show them like what a big deal that was and like like that's that you know, but I think also one possibility is you could pull out something more specific, like the worst case scenario, right? Like, okay, your algorithm is trying to make these decisions, right? If we don't look into how the algorithm is performing, this is the worst case scenario. And like, if they're willing to assume that risk of the worst case scenario, get it in writing. Um, but like, if they're willing to assume that risk of that worst case scenario, then that's all you can do besides like walk away. Um, I think, but yeah, but I think like we do that in um, in financial institutes. So I've worked at two fintechs and in financial institutes, like if you don't do the worst case scenario, they will pull your banking license. And so like we're legally required to do that so that the company is aware, you know, this is how much money you could lose. This is how you, and you know, there are regulations around that, like that if you, zip code's my favorite one in the United States, right? So like you can't utilize zip code within uh, algorithms because it could be indicative of race and that would bake your bias into the algorithm and so like you you'd be like all right well th this is how you would lose your banking license in the United States right but that like if you if you present that that's specific to the algorithm they're doing like this is the worst thing that could happen if we deploy this without taking a look at it then I think it really bakes into the idea like yes fast is great but fast without some checkpoints could really hurt your business and like tie it back to that idea of business value. Yeah, and I definitely like when you say when it comes to banking, do you have the you have the nice thing of actually having having rules of what you are allowed to to put in a, to a production. Uh, so there you have automatically you have some kind of checkpoints that you need to pass. Uh, but, but still, but that's like that's that's from the regulators, right? And so, like, still internally, people are at the at fintechs and neobanks are trying to move fast and break things, and they're doing super cool stuff, and it's an awesome space to be in. But that's the way that you keep grounding, you know, the algorithm is you keep grounding, like, okay, here's the worst thing that could happen, and this is the risk that we are assuming if we don't check for these worst things that could happen, and that this checking for these worst things takes this amount of time, right? And I think, again, I have no poker face. Like if you just communicate that, then then it becomes clear, like, you know, this is the, this is the business value. This is, tie it back to the business value. This is what you'll be losing. This is what the, you're running the risk of it happening. And if they're still like, no, we want to go ahead, risks be damned, then get in writing or, um, <laughs> yeah, cover, cover your ass. 
Yeah, people respond better to risk than opportunity, right? So mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's a that's a good view of uh, going into the discussion with. I think most of the industries who are using AI, if they don't want to do it, they will eventually have to do it uh, because it'll time will come. It's just that we are in age of these exponential technologies like uh, AI, blockchain, and the DNA uh, sequencing, etc. It's taking some time for regulation to figure out what to regulate on, uh, but eventually it's going to come. I agree. Oh, lovely. Robert, did you have anything else to add just before we end the podcast? No, I think like very interesting answers and definitely, definitely things to <laughs> that myself can think about when when having these discussions in the future as well, because they will they will happen again. I'm sure of. Hundred <laughs> percent. Definitely, I think it's been uh, it's been a really great discussion with everybody that w that we've had in had involved, and I've I've loved listening along, and I hope everybody else has uh, loved listening as well.